Hey, it's great to be with you guys this morning, and uh, I bring greetings from Nelson, uh, our church there. You know, you guys are so on to it. We're only just starting church, and you guys are right in the middle of church. And so, you know, they obviously rise earlier over this side of the uh, uh, hills, you know. But it's good to be here today, and uh, Maria, my wife, sends greetings as well. And, um, you know, we just think it's a real privilege to be part of the ELA movement And uh, it's a real privilege to be here today. And I just wanted to share a couple of thoughts with you in that this morning. And um, it's it's quite exciting to know when you are following Jesus. You know, it's a real privilege that when you start living out your life and chasing after God and allowing Jesus to shape your life, there is no better person to align your life to. And, you know, he is real. And he is speaking to us. And like we already heard a healing today, which is really exciting. And that, but sometimes to follow Jesus is no mean feat. You know, from the first moment you say yes to Jesus, you know, you start a life journey of aligning your life to Jesus's. And, and with the goal to fulfill God's purpose that he has created specifically for you so that you can live your best life. But do you know what? Sometimes it's hard to do that. And I like how Paul puts it. He puts it in first, oh, in Colossians this way. He says, let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. In other words, you know, when you give your life to Jesus, start to follow him. Start to let him transform your life. And it's easy said in the good times, isn't it? But in the tough times, it's not so easy. And that's something that I've found. And in, you know, in the hard times, maybe even the times you feel it is impossible moments that come into your life, you have two choices. You can run to God or you can run away from God. You, know, you can either trust God and his word or go off and solve it yourself. And I was thinking about it. And when I was thinking about this, I thought about myself as a four-year-old. One of my first memories I have as a child. And that, see, one day, see, I'm an only child. And that, in other words, my parents got it right first time. <laughs> Seriously. Or they had enough. And that was it. We're not having another kid after this one. And that, but either way, I like to think the first one. And, um, but what happened was, one day I decided I was going to bake a cake for mum. And back when I was four years old, the kitchen counter is way up here not where it is today. And so I got my bag of flour out because I was pretty onto it. I knew you needed flour. So I picked it up and put it on the counter. And then as I left it, I had one of those slow motion disaster moments. You know how you have those moments in your life where everything seems to go in slow motion, but there's nothing you can do about it? Like you just watch and it's like, no. Well, the flour bag started to tip. And it goes, I remember as a little boy going, oh, I'm in so much trouble. And it crashes, and poof, flour everywhere. At this point, I could run to mum or sort it out myself. And being me, I decided I'm going to sort this out myself. So I knew to clean up a mess, you need water. So I got the cloth and water and started rubbing in the flour and promptly invented glue. You know, it was pretty exciting for a four-year-old. And I'm thinking, do I go get mum or do I sort it out myself? Who knows what a four-year-old would do? So I went and got newspaper and thought, I'll wipe this mess up. 
And so I started rubbing newspaper into the glue and invented paper mache. <laughs> At which point, not only did I create paper mache, but the ink in the paper leached into the lino. Mum comes into the room pre the time of no spanking. <laughs> this is why it's one of my first memories I remember well. I'm crying stuck with everything stuck to me. But when we face difficult situations, do we do the same with God? And it's only when we get to the end of it, we go, I've got nothing else to do. I might as well just pray now. Or do we run to him first? You know, if you think about it, this and how, when and how we react to God actually is reflective how often of how deep our roots go down in him. Because that will determine whether you run to God. Because if your roots go deep in him, then you know no matter what, I'm going to trust him. So, you know, I was thinking about this. And I was thinking, what do we do in the hard moments? And I thought about Jesus. And there's, there's a great piece of history in, um, in the book of John, chapter 5. And it's called Feeding the 5,000. And in the title, it sort of tells you a bit about what it's about. You know, you see, Jesus has crossed to the far side of the, side of the Sea of Galilee and, and wanted some alone time with the disciples because they'd gone out two by two just previously, gone into villages, they were preaching the good word, learning how, how to be good disciples, and they did lots of ministry. And then at the same time, Jesus, as they all came back together, had just found out that his cousin, John the Baptist, had just been executed. So they're tired, they're doing heaps of ministry, and they're run down. And so they're just going to have some time together, probably for the first time in about a month or so. And they just needed some downtime. And as they were doing that sitting up on a hill, they see this huge crowd from the other side of the lake, slowly walking around, sailing across, and all this. And we pick up that story um, in John 6, verse 5 and 6. It says this, Then Jesus lifted up his eyes, and seeing the great multitude coming to him, he said to Philip, and I love this, he said to Philip, like he drilled in and went, where's Philip? Philip, I'm going to say this to you. Where shall we buy bread that they may eat? Now, you need to understand, why did he pick on Philip? Because Philip was from this region. He was the local boy. You know, he knew where the best takeouts were. He knew where the bakeries were. You know, I know a bit of Blenheim, but you guys will know where to get the better deals. You know, and, and you know, for you guys, you've got something better than Nelson, a chemist warehouse. You know, and, and you know where it is. And I don't. Why? Because I'm not a local. And, and so you can imagine it. As he's walking around this area, he would have been like me. You know, Phil would have been going, hey, this is where I went to school. This is where you go for this. This is where my parents live. This is where I grew up. This is this. This is that. And, and you know, across the um, lake there is a great place to hang out and just get away from people. And that's kind of how they would have ended up where they were. But notice that Jesus, and we find out if you read the next verse, that Jesus is asking Philip because he is testing him. Because you can, in fact, see that in the next verse. And that, but this, he says, but this 
he said to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. I like that. And so, you know, eventually, I'm going to do a spoiler here if you don't know this, eventually Jesus feeds the crowd through a miraculous uh, miracle. And that, But outside the death and resurrection, this story is the only miracle that appears in all four Gospels of the Bible. Outside the death and resurrection. Why? Because it was the most witnessed miracle that actually happened in um, Jesus' day. It's recorded that 5,000 men, and that doesn't include women and children, so it must have been closer to 20,000 people were fed that day. And here Jesus is testing Philip. And you need to realize this, that God will never tempt you, but he will test you. And a faith that cannot be tested is actually a faith that cannot be trusted. And I'm going to put it this way. Back and when I was about two years old in 1995, I'm not, I wasn't two years old back then, by the way, um, Hillsong had just um, brought out a new song, and it was Jesus, Lover of My Soul. And I remember the beginning of that year singing that, you know, like you do in church. Hey, Jesus, you're the lover of my soul. I'll never let you go. But you see, it was untested. It wasn't tested. See, at the time I was engaged to be married, but not to my Maria. Um, I had a great job. But by Easter, I'd broken up with my fiancé. At the time, it was terrible, but... Praise God, I met Maria, the most amazing woman in the world. You may think you married the most amazing woman in the world, but I did. Okay, You married the second most amazing woman in the world. Actually third, because my mum comes in second, okay? But, but um, anyway, so, so, so you know how it is. She might be listening today, so you know, I could put that plug in. But anyway, I'd also made the worst mistake I could make at my work. I was a quality assurance manager of Irvine's. And um, I was overseeing the cleaning regimes, and we didn't replace the cleaner, and our spiral freezer broke, and that. And basically, what it caused to do caused was Irvine's to go short on pastry, frozen pastry around the country, because it took them a number of months to fix it. And I kind of was to blame for that, but they kept me employed because it was a great learning opportunity. Praise God for that. But then. What was probably the saddest of all was my mentor at that point for about 10 years through my mid-teens all the way through to 25, my age at that time, actually passed away of cancer. And, um, you know, it just broke my heart. And this all happened in four months from sort of feeling like, man, I'm on top of the world to, wow, what happened? And that, so by the middle of 1995, I knew I could sing Jesus, lover of my soul, Jesus, I will never let you go. You've taken me from the miry clay and set my feet upon the rock. And now I know, now I know I love you, I need you. And though my world may fall, I will never let you go. My Savior, my closest friend, I will worship you until the very end. How did I know that? Because it was tested. I want to encourage you. You know, Jesus is giving Philip an unsolvable problem. Think about it. 20,000 people in front of him. And Jesus turns around to him going, you're the local boy. Okay, you tell me 
where all the takeaways are, where all the bakeries are, so we can feed all these people. You know, in the next hour or so, where do I get all the food from? See, Matthew 14, 21, it says that, that the number of those who ate was about 5,000 men beside the women and children. So, you know, it was a huge problem. But here's a question for you. What is your unsolvable problem? Is it at the moment the cost of living and finances? You know, you only earn so much, but everything else costs that much. We're shifting mortgage. Is it family? Maybe you're just dealing with a teenager who somehow two years ago was the most loveliest person in the world. And suddenly, suddenly, they know more than all your life experience put together. And you just don't know what to do about that. Or maybe you've got a family member that's far from God and it's just breaking your heart. Maybe it's a health. Maybe suddenly you get that doctor's appointment, you know, that report, or something else is going on in your life of a loved one or you, and you just sit there going, I don't know what to do. There's nothing I can do. Like Philip, looking at Jesus going, seriously, you're asking me how we're going to feed all these people? See, Jesus knew what he was going to do. He was just throwing out the problem to test his disciples. See, Jesus also knows about your unsolvable problem. It is not a surprise to him. See, God was preparing to do something good. So what's your unsolvable problem? I'll tell you what mine is. Aging parents. Seriously, aging parents. Like before, I'm an only child. So there's no brother or sister to help out. It's me. And, um, and um, they live in Palmerston North. In fact, my family goes right back to the founding of Palmerston North. My great-grandfather laid the cornerstone to the Methodist Church in Palmerston North. And so Palmerston North is kind of my fault, in a way, because I go back that far. And but, but they live in Palmerston North, and, and I managed to escape. But, but, you know, there, it's a great city, by the way. You should visit it. It's one of those best hidden kept secrets of New Zealand. And um, but, you know, what happened was, they, so what we've got doing is we do their groceries online. We do dinners online, frozen dinners. We visit two to three times a year, but it's still frustrating because we don't spend enough time and doctor's visits. There's no advocate for them and things like this. And sometimes out my frustration and my parents' frustration projects into Maria's frustration, and then we're all frustrated. And it's just one of those things, what do you do? Because they don't want to move. They don't want to consolidate everything together and live in Nelson. I don't know why. I even offer them Blenheim, but still, no. You know? So, so what do I do? It's unsolvable. So how do you build your lives on Jesus when you're facing an unsolvable problem? And so I just want to dig down into this a little bit. How do you let your roots go deep? How do you just manage to actually feel a bit of forward momentum? And that, so the first thing is actually this. Keep a heart of compassion. Actually keep a heart of compassion. Because you see, an unsolvable problem often is followed by a heart of compassion. You need to understand that Jesus and his disciples have been working a long time and they're worn out and they needed a break. 
And, you know, as I said before, friends of John the Baptist had turned up and actually approached Jesus with the bad news that he lost um, John's life in prison. And after that, they decided to go to this mountain area and have a rest on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And when the disciples seen this huge crowd coming towards them, their first reaction, if you read about it, was, heck, let's just send them away. Let's just get rid of them. This is our time with Jesus. This is my quiet time in the morning. I know that annoying person in church is ringing me right now, but I'm having my moment with Jesus. And, that, and this is what Jesus said. He goes on and says this. But God says, no, don't send them away. See, the best things God wants to do in and through you will usually come as an interruption. I want you to get that. It's outside your normal, regular routine. One of my things I do is I do a bit of traveling around the country, and I often find myself sitting on planes. And so if I've gone somewhere for a weekend or I've had a long week, and I've been, I'm quite tired, so what I will do is get my headphones, put them on, get my iPod out, iPad out, and look at a Marvel movie and start watching it going, this is so good, you know, and, and settle in for the journey home. And it was one of these days I was sitting on the plane and I was just getting comfortable and this lady comes and sits next to me and her phone rings as we're settling into the plane. And I'm thinking, she's still got a phone on, this is not good. And then she starts talking on the phone and then she bursts into tears. And I'm thinking, fold up the, put it in the side. And I'm like, um, excuse me, can someone get this person some tissues? And, as, and then I thought, maybe I can plug back in. And then I said, is there anything, are you okay? And she says, oh, I just heard that my niece was killed in a car accident. Literally, just phone right now. I don't know what to do, and I don't know what to feel. Do you think I went back to my Marvel movie? No. And so for all of us, moments with God and times of ministry. You know, it's great we can have great things in church here, but this is your halftime talk. This is where you get encouraged to go back out into the game. Because we talk about revival, and people love to see revival in church, people, you know, getting healed. And, but it's so much better if it's out on the streets. You know, it's so much better out there. And often, in your normal day routine, God will interrupt you. And, and, and so, so I want to encourage you that, that it's, it's in those moments you've got to have the compassion. See, Mark 6, it says, And Jesus, when he came out, saw the great multitude and was moved with compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began to teach them many things. In fact, before he gave them physical bread, he gave them the bread of life. You know, God cares about hungry stomachs, but he actually also cares about the person. And we should too. And so we need to find compassion. You know, my parents, you know, one of the most amazing phone calls I ever had with them where compassion sort of flew out the window, started with dad ringing up going, hey Richard, good to talk to you today. I've forgotten how to use the DVD player. They don't even have internet at their house. And, and I said, but mum, mum still has the instructions, doesn't she, that I wrote last time. No, she's throwing them out. 
So how do you put a DVD in a DVD player? Well, you need to press the ejection button. What does that look like? It's like this. And I describe it, and he says, well, I'm, I, I will have to get on my knees to do that. And mum, who's currently got a medical alert bracelet, she goes, it falls over, she can't get back up. You hear dad go, hey, honey, do you want to get down on your knees and get up? No, dad, don't do that. And it was going south very quickly. In fact, it was so bad that um, I was making this call in our bedroom. Maria walks into the room. Here's the content of my attitude and literally walked the other way <laughs> back out. Like she knew where it was going. One hour later, when we still haven't got the DVD tray out of the DVD player, we decided that it was best to put down the phone in part as son and father before one of us disowned the other. It was that bad. And then afterwards, I went to tell Maria, and who knows how good your wives are. You know, they, they suddenly say, shouldn't you have compassion? Yeah. Yeah. And so, you see, compassion goes beyond feelings of sympathy and empathy. It actually leads to action. So next time we were there, I got the DVD player. I put it on a table next to it. I marked literally the thing and pressed the eject button and showed them. And we got, and today my parents can use the DVD player. And that, but it's just one of those journeys that we go through. And that, so to keep a heart of compassion, you know, keep a heart of compassion when you're dealing with people. And keep a heart of compassion if it's not people and you're frustrated with God. Keep a heart of compassion for Him. Because without compassion, eventually it leads to bitterness. And you don't want to go there. So that's the first thing. The second thing is this. Don't write off the unlikely solution. You know, I love Philip. Philip couldn't get past the problem. You know, how much will it cost? You know, he was sitting there going, how much will this thing cost to feed all these people? You know, he was pulling out his calculator. He was doing it. And as you read, he, he can't get past that. And the thing is, which amazed me about Philip is, yet he was in Canaan. He was at the wedding feast. He saw Jesus turn water to wine. So he knows. He knows that Jesus can be a creative God. And then, and, but still, he couldn't get past the problem of how to feed these people. And often that's how we feel when we're facing something. We can't get past the problem in front of us. We can't see the bigger picture. But then Andrew turns up. And I love Andrew. Because you see, Andrew, when you read about him, is he's always bringing people to Jesus. You know, in fact, he brought his brother to Jesus. And in this moment, he brings a boy to Jesus. And later on, you discover that he brings these two random Greek guys to Jesus. So he's always bringing, and there's cameo moments in the word, he brings people to Jesus. And, and he brings this boy, and he's got a lunchbox. And Jesus literally goes, man, what is in his lunchbox? In fact, he had barley loaves the Bible tells us, which was the cheapest form of bread of the day. So he was actually from a poor family as well. But he offers the lunch to Andrew. And that's how they knew he had food. 
And I want to tell you this. The recipe um, God wants to use for your miraculous in your life is probably the seeds of it are already there. They're already there. We just need to sow the seed and let God grow it. And maybe if it's a fight, maybe it's the budget side of things. Maybe you need to set your budget. Maybe it is grabbing one of those connect cards and putting a prayer request in. In your small group, getting the focus on that prayer. Maybe it's a health issue. Maybe it's a diet. See, we need to do what we can do to allow God to do what he can do. You know, God wants us to do something, and it's called faith. Because we need to step out and move and do something. And in that moving, something happens. So God is saying to you, give me what is in your hands, and I will unlock what is in your hearts. See, in Mark um, 6, 38, it says this, but he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And they, when they found out, they said, five and two fishes. So how do we let our roots go down deep in God in the difficult moments? Keep a heart of compassion. Don't write off the unlikely solutions. And then choose thankfulness. Choose thankfulness. I love this. Jesus prays over the loaves and fishes before they multiply, and he gives thanks. And I believe someone in this room needs to hear this today. Jesus was holding not enough, but he still gave thanks. He still gave thanks. Can you in your impossible situ situation say, this is only a test, and I'm going to thank him anyway. I'm going to believe anyway. Can you choose thankfulness with what's in your hand right now? See, in 1 Thessalonians 5, 18, it says this, And everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. You see, you need to understand, things begin to change when you have a grateful heart standing in the middle of an impossible situation. But notice, he didn't just bless the food, he also broke the food. See, God always blesses what he allows to be broken. In Matthew 5, you know, it says, Blessed are those. If you read it, you'll see a lot of blessings. And blessed are the poor in spirit, for they will inherit the kingdom of God. You know, and so finally, allow your roots to grow down deep in him in the hard moments. You need to choose to eat well. You actually have to choose to eat well. See, they walk, every single person walked away with a full stomach. I love what it says in John 6, 11. It says, Jesus took the loaves, he gave thanks, and distributed them who were seated as much, and here's the words, as much as they wanted. And he did the same with the fish. So in other words, every person took as much or as little as they wanted or they could eat. See, the word of God can feed you as much or as little as you allow it. You know, a 19th century theologian and preacher Charles Spurgeon put it this way. This is one of the rules of Christ's feasting. As much as they want it, according to your appetite, according to your will, according to your faith, so be unto you. You choose. You choose in this season of an unsolvable problem, how much will you eat? How much will you run to God? How deep will you allow your roots to go? 
How much will you choose Jesus and God in that moment? You know, how will you continue to come to church and meet together to pray and get people praying around you? How much to get in your small groups and have people walking with you and, and so forth? Because, you know, and here's the big thing. You know, you can choose to give. You can choose to serve in your difficult moments. It's your choice. But here's the thing. There was, they were left with excess food. You know, the disciples each walked away with a basket of food. You see, we serve a God that is not a God of enough. We serve a God of exceedingly more than enough. And we need to remember that in your difficult situation. Don't let your situation leave you where Philip was. You know, I, I reckon he was so worked up in the problem, he didn't notice what Andrew was doing. He didn't notice that Jesus at this point was dividing the food. He was probably saying, oh my, how are we going to do this? Don't stay in that place. You know, so in your pos- when things seem impossible in your life, now look what Paul says in Colossians 2, 7. He says, let your roots grow deep in him and let your lives be built on him. But then there is a promise straight after he says that. And I want you to grab this today. He says, Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught, and you will overflow with thankfulness, even in the most difficult moments of your life. So who wants their faith to grow strong and to overflow with thankfulness? Why don't we pray? Father God, right now in this place, Father, we thank you for before and that moment where healing was happening. Lord, we thank you that presence is still here. We thank you you're the same God today, yesterday, and for tomorrow. And Father God, while every head is bowed and every eye is closed, who here would say by raising their hand they believe they're facing an impossible problem right now? beyond their own means to solve. Yeah. Father God, for each hand raised in this place, Father God, I ask you right now, help them in the hard moments to stay compassionate. Father God, in the hard moments, Father, to still choose you in the middle of it all. Father God, to just press in Father God, to know that you have it, to know that you walk with them. Father God, to help them choose to eat well. Father God, in you. Father God, to help them to continue to walk the path of thankfulness. And Father, to keep their eyes on you. Father God, even when it seems the most ridiculous that you speak to them about, a small lunch even, Lord, let them just trust you. Holy Spirit, in this moment, Father God, as they step out in the things they can do, Holy Spirit, I invite you to do only what you can do right now. Holy Spirit, in this moment. Lord God, and in this moment, just want to look get you to look at me for a second 
one of the things I do every morning when I get up is I actually give my life to Jesus and you. The reason is I say to Maria every day, I love her as my wife. I'm for her. And if I can do something, I will for you. And I believe in our marriage. And I find the same is an example of how our relationship is with Jesus. Now, if 20 years ago or 17 years ago when I married, or 18 years ago when I married Maria, if I just said I love her on the day and never said it again, I wouldn't have a great marriage. So each day I love to get up and go, Jesus, again, I invite you into my life afresh. I invite you to be my Lord and Savior because I need a fresh relationship every day. And I'm going to pray a simple prayer. And I'm just going to invite you right now to pray this prayer with me. And it's very simple. You can pray it in your heart. You can pray it out loud. And I'm going to invite you today to make that commitment with me to Jesus. And it goes like this. Heavenly Father, I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. I believe you, Jesus, is the Son of God and Savior of the world. And I ask you, Jesus, to save me. And I repent of my sin, the stuff I've done wrong. And I believe you died on a cross. You rose from the dead to pay the cost of my sin and to give me life. And today I choose to follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen.